you have a lot to do with your own happiness. As a matter of fact, far too many people blame others for their lack of happiness. They blame others for their lack of success. They blame some circumstance or some incident for their lack of achievement. But I can say to you, according to the Bible, as we delve into this message tonight, that really a lot of our not having the success, not enjoying the blessings of the Lord is the person that we see in the mirror. And you ask yourself, what permission do we give ourselves to have a bad attitude toward people? Well, I got a good attitude to everybody over here, but everyone over there, I don't, I don't have a good attitude. I had a person that I, uh, I, I spoke to today, and they were talking about it. I said, how, how are you doing? What did you do the weekend? Well, you know, weekend, but I had, I had to go to my mother-in-law's. And, uh, oh, you did? Yeah, and, you know, that's, that's just, you know, I tolerate that. I just tolerate having to go over to my mother-in-law's. And I, and I said, well, you need to change your attitude. <laughs> well, what do you mean I need to change your attitude? I said, you think your mother-in-law's going to change? Not a chance. But how you view the situation. Imagine the bondage that would leave the church and far too many followers of Jesus if we just sweetened up a little bit. Turn to your neighbor and say, you need to get a little sweeter. There you go. And say that as gently as you can, all right? The more I realize in life at this stage that uh, attitude has a lot to do with life. It's more than facts. It's more than relationship, it's more than money, it's more than circumstance, more than education, it's more than health, it's more than my skill set. You see, here's what I believe, that attitude will make or break a person or anyone connected with that person. And yet every day we have a choice to wake up every day and say, what's my attitude going to be today? How's it going to be toward those I work with? How's it going to be? How's my attitude toward my drive to work? How's my attitude about those that are in authority over me? How's my attitude toward what I'm going to have to face in a particular circumstance? And in reality, we know that we all have hiccups every single day, parts of the day, or people sometimes in the mix of that day that, that may not create a, a warm environment for us. But when you understand that between your ears and in your heart is a mechanism given to you only by God that says no one has power or control over you. You and I cannot change our past, and I can tell you that change is going to happen in all of us. And here's what I've said over and over and over again. Life is 10% what happens to me and 90% how I react to it. So if I set myself up for failure and I know tomorrow I'm going to have a meeting with someone that I really don't care for about some situation that I don't want to talk about, listen, my friend, then take a look at that and say, God, how is my attitude as a born-again believer and as a follower of Jesus Christ, how am I going to manage that? Or if you know there's a subject someone is going to set you down and talk to you about to try to coach you, what's going to be your attitude toward that coaching situation? You see, all of us are in charge of our own attitude, and attitude, in fact, is a game changer. I said it this morning, 77% of those things that we hear, of the things that we hear, has a negative impact on each of us. 77% 
and it works against us. We know, as I said this morning, the average person hears no and a negative thought 148,000 times before they're hardly out of the gate as a child. It's called unintentional negative programming. Now, in the midst of a world that's negative, you stand up and say, I am for Jesus Christ. You stand up and say, I think Bible ought to be back in schools and prayer ought to be back in schools. You stand up and say, you ought to go to church. You're going to find a negative spirit that's going to hit you right between the eyes, friend, because we live in a, an anti-Christ culture, and it's more and more evident. So as a believer and as a church, how do we respond well, we don't respond as a church. Boy, it just looks like the world's getting meaner and the world's getting madder and the world's getting farther and farther away from God. It just seems like that's the way it is. And, and bless God, that's, that's, we just might as well throw our hands up and give up. That's not God's plan for his church, nor is it his plan for you. So if we listen to the word, we find in 2 Timothy 3, verses 1 through 4. Here you go. You're going to see it. You should also know this, Timothy, that in the last days there will be very difficult times where people will love only themselves and their money. And there will be boastful and proud, scoffing at God, disobedient to their parents, and ungrateful. They will consider nothing sacred. They will be unloving and unforgiving. They will slander others, have no self-control. They will be cruel and have no interest in what's good. And they will betray their friends, be reckless, be puffed up with pride, and love pleasure rather than God. I believe that we can agree maybe that is a negative world but it's reality now. It's reality now. How amazing is that? So how shall we respond? Well, I can be positive in a negative world. Say that with me. I can be positive in a negative world. So let's try it on for size. Here we go. Number one, happiness is an internal pursuit. An internal pursuit. Philippians 4.8, Paul, the great joy book, Philippians. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, noble, right, pure, lovely, admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. That is a list that Paul just gave us to think on. Think about these things. Ponder those things. Get it in your cranium. Let the gray matter between your ears begin to massage that. Think on these things. Now, as a believer, as a believer, what's true, noble, right, pure. But God, you know, you know that situation grinds me. You know going to work is the pressure. Whatever's admirable, anything excellent or praiseworthy, think about those things. What is he saying? Don't think about the things that bring you down or create angst for you. Happiness is not a condition. It is what? An attitude. I tell people all the time, I practice it in my life and in my ministry always. Always take the high road. Why? Because the high road has a better road to walk. Low road feels good for the moment. Low road gets even. Low road brings you some success. Look what I did. Low road lets you whine and lets you murmur. But the high road, you begin to act like the mature believer God wants you to act like. Amen? 
take the high road. Turn to your neighbor and say, take the high road. And then here's another thought. You've heard me say this one a thousand times at least. It's always give people the benefit of what? The doubt. You know, what are you doing? You are creating ways with which you can live with yourself and be happy. You have to create those paths. You know, always give people the benefit of the doubt. You know, that nutcase didn't mean what they said. I know that. You know, I just know that. What are you doing? You're, you're saying, I'm taking the high road to say, I really don't think that they meant what they said. Give yourself, give yourself room to have the good attitude. Here's another. Always treat people the same way you treated them before the offense occurred. Are you with me? Always treat them the same. Doesn't matter if they wronged you, spat on you, cursed you, used your name, maligned you. Always treat them the same. That's the high road. Why? Because you don't want to get in the gutter where they're at. And the minute that you do that, you are in bigger trouble than you can imagine. Happiness is something that is internal. Researchers have said that 20%, only 20% of Americans, only 20% of Americans are truly happy. 20%? How can that be? One psychiatrist, Thomas Sessis, this is what he said, happiness is an imaginary condition. And then he goes on, he said, formerly attributed by the living to the dead. Well, the only people are happy are dead people. That's what he's saying. But he said, now if the culture's changed it, now it's usually attributed by adults to children. Well, I blew my life, and I've got so much misery going on here. Well, maybe the kids can be happy. And you know what the kids are thinking? He said, the kids look at you as an adult and say, wow, I can't be happy as a kid, but I can be, look at, look at that, that adult. That adult is how I can't wait till I become a man or a woman and become grown, and then I'll be happy. You just keep chasing that rabbit, and you're going to be miserable. Happiness starts here and now. And it's internal as we discover it. Paul almost screams out of Philippians, screams to us, rejoice in the Lord always. And I will say it again, what? <coughs> rejoice. He screams that to us. Rejoice. When? Every day. Rejoice every day. Rejoice when it rains. And it is raining. By the way, they had a tornado watch in Port County. How many of you knew about that? I saw it. A lot of people saw it and decided just to stay home, tornado watch. But can I tell you something? <clears throat> if I were afraid of a tornado watch in Polk County, let me tell you what I would run to. This church, this building is absolutely strong, my friend. This is where you're going to want to be in a bad weather situation. Amen? These walls around here are about that thick, poured with solid concrete and rebar. Hello? Right there. So the church is strong. So let me, let me move on here. You see, we, we might say, well, I'm only human. I sing it all the I'm only human. And when you do, you give yourself a right to not behave as a courageous, positive Christian. What happens is the spirit man in us so weak that in selected occasions we give ourselves permission 
to not be happy, to be miserable. There is nothing in the Bible that tells us that we, okay, Ecclesiastes, time to weep, time to mourn, time to be happy. But it doesn't have to adversely affect the way that you feel. You see, for, for us to understand, in us is the power of the Holy Spirit. We don't have to behave like those that don't know God because we know God. We behave in a positive way because we believe the Spirit is stronger than the flesh. Say amen. We believe the Word of God will encourage our spirit man. Say amen. We are not to lean on our emotions alone. We lean on Him. God expects us to be different. Our attitude is a decision. I like what John Maxwell wrote. In other words, he said, what is an attitude? He said, its roots are inward, but its fruits outward. It's our best friend or our worst enemy. It's more honest and more consistent than our words. It's an outward look based on past experiences. It's a thing which draws people to us or repels them away from us. It's never content until it's expressed. It is uh, the speaker of our present and it is the prophet of our future. Joy, happiness finds us on the inside. When we respond negatively and we take up a raunchy, no good for nothing attitude, my friend, it will drive you to anger, fear, and anxiety. And when it begins to spread, here's what you'll find. It'll get larger and larger and larger. You can start out with one person. Give yourself permission not to like that person. Give yourself permission that you can't stand that person. And here's what will happen. You keep practicing that, and it'll spread to another person and another person and another person and another person, and you will become rotten until you stink. Amen? And each time when people disappoint us, it brings more and more pain to us, and it begins to drive our perspective in life that we become a victim instead of a victor. I love it. The chaplain who was speaking to a soldier who had been on the front line of war. Soldier was on the cot in the hospital, and the chaplain said, you've lost an arm for a great cause. And the old soldier said, no, sir. And the soldier, smiling, I didn't lose it. I gave it up. Amen? I didn't lose it. I knew when I went to battle that potential was there. I gave it up. Amen? That's just the way that we live. And here's something else. A bad attitude is a sick attitude. Let's say that together. A bad attitude is a sick attitude. Philippians 1.6, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Now, in my life, in my ministry, I've, I've had personal, you've heard me say, personal friends who maligned me, talked about, knifed you in the back. You know what? How many have ever been knifed in the back? You know the good thing about that? You don't know when it's coming. If they knife you in the front, you know when it's coming. You say, oh, I'm about to get knifed. Boy, they knife you in the back. Here's a positive attitude. You know when it's coming. And it doesn't initially hurt. As the son of a butcher, I have cut this finger up in many ways. As the son of a butcher, I almost lost this thumb in a poultry saw. I never knew that it happened until after it happened, you know? And this one, when I had a metal glove on doing chickens and going through the poultry, I didn't know it until the glove sounded when the blade was there. Oh, wow, amazing. Because you just can't 
You can't prepare for those kinds of things. But whatever it is, this finger, the end of this thumb, it, I cut it completely off. I picked it up, washed it off, put peroxide on it, taped it back on, and it grew back. Somebody said, are you for real? Absolutely. That's part of the hazard of being a butcher. You're going to get cut. My own mother cut me right here, but I won't go into that story. God bless her soul. I'm working on forgiving her. Being confident of this began a good work to completion until the day of Jesus. A bad attitude, get this now, capture this, is a result of something going on that's not godly. Something going on in you that you've given yourself permission to be able to own. I talked to someone the other day who lost their, uh, their spouse just in a matter of three months. Spouse healthy and gone. And, and that's been several years now. And they're still carrying, still carrying the pain of that loss. I, under, I, I understand and I understand, but sooner or later, a person has to come to grips. God, I, I don't understand that. And you know what the enemy is trying to do? Is trying to make us believe that we cannot have a future, that we are controlled by our past. But God can heal every emotion that we go through. A bad attitude will destroy those around you and leave you lonely and alone. Jim Simula said, you can measure, measure your closeness to the Lord by your attitude toward those around you. So what is a sick attitude? You know, many believers have what I call that sick attitude syndrome. We know we are to be positive in our attitude and our spirit, but we allow the enemy to make us sick because we feel, we feel spiritual attacks. If you're going to live for Jesus, the more you try to live for Jesus, the more you're going to be attacked spiritually. Amen? Well, then bless God. I'm not praying for patience because I know what it takes to give patience. Give it up, friend. Make up your mind and be strong in the Lord. So, so here's the beautiful Elijah. Here he is. A great, wouldn't you like to say, wow, Elijah, what a man he was. He faced off with Baal and the prophets and Jezebel. And you know, then Jezebel sends a notice, an email to him and said, I'm coming. This is what you're going to look like this time tomorrow. He ran for his life, went away from his servants there. And what did he do? He laid down and said, I just want to die. Lord, take my life. I'm no better than my ancestors. What happened to him? He shifted into the regard that he's no longer the anointed. He shifted into the arena where he's no longer special to God. He shifted into the arena. He forgot he's God's prophet. He shifted into the arena that he did not have authority. He thought the enemy through Jezebel had more authority than he had. What happened? He allowed his brain to begin to believe that. And what he should have done, and we can always point out what other people should have done, but he should have said, Jehovah God, the same God that dealt with the prophets of Baal can deal with that lady, Miss Jezebel. God, you direct my footsteps, and that's a fact. He just saw God move supernaturally. You see, our relationship with God does not guard us from the attack of the enemy. You take your biggest challenge. I look at some of you, and I know some of the things that you're facing. I know some of the challenges and some of the difficulties. And because you're a follower of Jesus Christ, here it is. The enemy can make you have a bad attitude toward God. 
Because you say, God, you allowed this to happen and I don't like this. Why not somebody else? Well, here's how you deal. Here's what Paul says in Romans 5. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we know that through faith, we're ju- not by our works, not by our deeds, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith in the grace in which we now stand by the power of grace. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God, not only so, but we also rejoice in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, character, hope, and hope does not disappoint us because God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit whom he has given us. A sick attitude takes the place when we forget the promise of the hope that we have in God. Nothing is impossible with him. Nothing. Romans 8, 1, therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. A sick attitude takes place when we think, yes, Lord, when we think as a believer, the wrath of God's coming on us. It's what I used to think when my dad used to whip me. I thought it was the wrath of God. And I've said, I've said before, there were times that I got whipped and I didn't do it. Can you believe that? But you know what I did? You're going to have a positive attitude? I chalked it up to all the things he didn't know. He doesn't know he just caught up with me. He didn't have any idea. I didn't do what I'm getting a whipping for. So I'm just going to chalk it up to the things he doesn't know. Now we're good. Amen? Anybody else like that? Am I the only one? I'm just dysfunctional. Here it is. When it looks like I have failed, I love this. When it looks like I failed, trouble doesn't mean that I'm a failure. It does mean I've not yet succeeded. Trouble doesn't mean I've accomplished nothing, but it does mean I have learned something. Trouble does not mean I've been a fool, but it means I had enough faith to experiment. Trouble does not mean I've been disgraced. It means I dared to try. Trouble does not mean I don't have it, but it does mean I have to do something in a little different way. Trouble does not mean I'm inferior. It does mean I'm not perfect. Trouble does not mean I wasted my life. It does mean I have an excuse to start over. Trouble does not mean I should give up. It does mean that I need to try harder. Trouble does not mean I'll never make it. It does mean I need more practice. Trouble does not mean you have abandoned me. It does mean you must have a better idea. With that, I can keep The positive attitude of the Spirit. The sick attitude will abort my victory of living daily in Christ Jesus. Take your problem. Take your trouble. Take your difficulty. And find a way to begin to thank God for the answer that will come through Jesus Christ. Elijah experienced after saying, I'm just ready to die. 
we experienced the earthquake and the fire, and God was not in them, but God whispered to him very gently. And it ministered to him, finally, be at peace. Be at peace. Peace does not come in a prescription. Sounds like to me I'm going to have to stretch this message out. How's your attitude about that? <laughs> Philippians 4 9. Philippians 4 9. I'm telling you, what I go, what, what we feel, whatever you've learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put into practice. Paul said, take a look here. And the God of peace will be with you. The God of peace. When I was a younger man, how do you like that? When I was a younger man, I worked with and for J. Foy Johnson, who is a district superintendent and a spiritual mentor. And my responsibility was building the, uh, selling the old conference center, a kids camp that we had at Camp Alify, uh, selling that and raising money uh, and building a new facility on the grounds that we purchased at Masterpiece Gardens. And so at that time, I am 30, uh, 32. And so I'm running up and down from Key West to Jacksonville, from coast to coast in the Virgin Islands. And every weekend we're in the car, uh, Sharon, myself, and the kids, and, and going from one town to the other, driving just in time to make a Sunday night service to be able to talk about that project and, and, and working as hard as I knew how to work, no matter where we were, in the district. If we were in Miami, I was in the office Monday morning, 8 o'clock. And we may not get out of Miami sometimes until 9 o'clock at night and then drive on into Lakeland through Yeehaw Junction, 60 and 27, and hit a drive through at McDonald's. And then come on home and be there Monday morning, 8 o'clock, ready to go. Did everything that, that I could. I had a couple people who were high profile individuals that were against me. I'm too young. I'm too enthusiastic. I drive too hard. I am not facing reality because they were, they were Mr. Wisdom, you know. So it's, it's always easy to sit over there and shoot somebody in the arena. Amen? Now, I'm, I'm 32 years old. How many of you remember when you were 32? 32, 32. How many of you are around 30, 32, 35? May I see your hand? Enjoy, oh, Jesus, help us. Enjoy yourself. So I'm dragging the kids and Sharon, and we're going at it. But always at prime moments, when those individuals had a platform, they came after me. Not directly. 
you know. Well, I hadn't learned, I hadn't learned the power of politics yet. You know what I mean? I just thought that reality was what you see. I didn't know there were hidden agendas. I just believed that God was pure, but I found that some of his people were not. You know, you know what I'm saying? And when you're 32, you know what I'm thinking, because I was far less patient then than I am now. I thought, well, if that's the rules of the game, bless God, then here I go. So when I talk to you about take the high road and times of prayer, I thought, God, this is going to explode. This would be easier It'd be easier to just go up to them and get it and slap the living daylights out of them and then step back and say, there's more where that came from. (laughs) Can, Can any of you relate to that? I mean, I'm just being absolutely transparent, you know. But I couldn't because I'm the kid. Are you with me? So it's like I had to just shake it off. And then, then that particular time in which we were in the midst of raising the funds, and I'm tired and doing Christian education and doing estate planning and, and all of that, and raising money, jumping in the car, going up and down from Jacksonville to Key West the first four months in office, four times in 15 different sections. So every night just going and going and coming in late, And so one sent a letter to Brother Johnson, four pages, single space, taking his young administrative guy to task, hiding his head in the sand, not facing reality, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, you know. And Brother Johnson asked me to come down to his office. And I, how many want to hear the rest of this story? If you don't, I'll just go ahead. And only, I'm just wrap it right on up here. See, y'all the ones that like Oprah, I can tell, see. <laughs> just kidding. He took the pages and he said, Wayne, look at this. I said, what is that? He said, well, it's a couple of individual, they're brothers, brothers who are not happy with you because they believe that you're, you're, you're not facing reality. They, they believe you're never going to be able to raise the money. They believe you're never going to be able to get the building built. They, I said, is that what they believe? He said, yes, they are. Now, how many of you about that time would want to ask, who is it? Anybody? <laughs> who is it? Who is it? But since I had been in the street in a gun battle before, I knew who it was. I didn't have to ask. So here's what I asked him, and it was wisdom from above. Well, Brother Johnson, what do you think? He smiled. He said, Wayne. Don't back up one inch. Drill on down and go after it. I thought, buddy, here I go. (laughs) So, So on dedication of the Family Conference Center at Masterpiece, 
maybe six to 10,000 people on the roads on Labor Day came in there. And I looked at the corner of my eye, and here came one of them. Now, I had just faced a real challenge because it happened to be the first men's event. We got in the building, and we had 1,500 men in a 1,000-seat auditorium. And the cook that was doing the cooking was, had experience, but she was new. And she decided that at lunch, the day they came in that night, but lunch that next day, she was going to have chicken pot pie. Fifteen hundred men, nowhere to go. Everybody's new. The equipment is there, and we get breakfast out of the way because I'm in the kitchen running. She goes, "Come on, we got a rock and roll here." As we got lines that are coming up, we got breakfast out of the way, and I said, "All right," told the cook. She had put the chicken pot pie, I call it the guts, the chicken, the vegetables, and everything, and cooked it already and put it in a, in a plastic, brand-new plastic garbage can that had never been used with, with what, what do you call it, a, like a garbage bag. So it was as sanitary as it's going to get. And she put it in there that evening before, after she got it cooked. And I walked over and said, let's pull it out and get ready. And we're going to put the pans out. and We're going to put all the stuff that's cooked in the pans. And, and then we're going to put the dough over it, you know, like you're supposed to do with chicken pot pie. And when I opened the lid, that stuff was bubbling And it stunk. And we had two hours before lunch. I said, what in the world? He said, I quit. I said, good. She left crying. Leaving me with a 50-gallon drum of bubbling stuff. Well, what did she do? She put it in there and didn't let it cool down, slapped it in the cooler that was 33 degrees, and the chemical reaction and all of that, and the heat, it bubbled and soured just like that. What are you going to do? Your cook just left. Ha! I thought, I know how to cook. Amen? And I do. I told my brother. I told the others. I tell you what I want you to do. He said, what are we going to do, Wayne? I said, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. We don't have any hamburger in there because it happens to be Saturday at noon. I want you to go to Publix. I want you to go to Winn-Dixie. I want you to go A&P. I want you to go. I want you to find me 50 pounds of hamburger, take everything they've got and bring it back here as quickly as you can. Get this kind of sauce, get this kind of paste, get this kind of garlic, get this kind of onion, get it all together. And buddy, they poured in there one hour before lunch. We put it in a big old deal out there and began to cook up that spaghetti sauce. We threw noodles in a hot water with butter in it and salt and pepper. And when lunchtime came, we had spaghetti and meatballs all ready right then and there. To God be the glory. What in the world am I talking about? 
So I'd already came, I just came through that. And I looked and here was walking one of those who sent the letter over toward me. I thought, I'm only 32, so I ought to be able to get away with immaturity. Or you know what I'm saying? Giving myself permission to just turn it loose, but being the gentle person that I am. He came to me with tears in his eyes, and he said, I never would have believed it except being here. I know you know I wrote the letter. I said, really? <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry. Do you know what, friend, in that moment, you want to give gradual forgiveness. You know what I'm saying? I'm going to pray about forgiving you. I want to tell you the sleepless nights that I had. I want to tell you how hard I worked. I want to tell you, except, but you know what you had to do? Give me a hug, brother. Lay hands on no man suddenly. But you can give him a hug. that squeezes at 32 years of age I had a pretty good squeeze my point is this you could tell your stories of opportunities or attitudes and formation of who you are has all been there but if you just remember to take that road and allow your attitude to give people the benefit of the doubt you can be at peace whatever you've learned received heard from me or seen in me put it into practice here's what he's saying don't fret John 13 1 Jesus with his disciples it's washing the feet time it says having loved his own who were in the world he now showed them the full extent of his love he didn't say you bunch of jackrabbits you bunch of misfits you bunch of guys who haven't caught the whole vision yet. He said, put your feet up here. Let me wash your feet. Here's the other fear not. He keeps you. The Lord watches over you. The Lord is your shade at your right hand. And when you feel alone, you don't have to fear because he's there. Some of you single parent families and you go home. Some of you that's lost a loved one and you're going to go home tonight. And you're going to open that door, and you're going to walk in a room that was once filled with the voice of a person that you loved. And it's not there. I want you to know that the great Jehovah says, if you let me, I'll give you peace that passes all understanding. Finally, he says, faint not, because he holds us safe. He writes here in Psalms 139, you are familiar with all my ways. 
And before a word is on my tongue, you know it complete, O Lord. You hem me in behind and before, and you've laid your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to obtain. Where can I go from your spirit, and where can I flee from your presence? If I go to heaven, you're there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. And if I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will Hold me fast. And how does that take place? When you say, God, I trust you, and I shall remain in my heart and my spirit in all circumstances. I want to take the high road and be the positive person that maintains an attitude, the attitude of a conqueror, and the attitude of a faithful servant of God. If you do that and you make that choice, your life will be far more blessed and others around you will thank God for it. Amen? Let's stand. Put your hands together and let's just thank God for just a moment. Would you do that? So, Heavenly Father, we thank you tonight. We've heard the rain and we are blessed because of it. We needed the showers, the abundant showers that are falling. We need to hear this message. We need to be reminded that it's easy to get angry and get bent out of shape, to become indifferent. It's easy to lose control sometimes. It's easy to become so miserable and so unhappy that we don't want to fellowship with anyone. And all of those are lies from the enemy because fellowship is an important part of our healing Fellowship is an important part of our encouragement. God, messages like this is an important part of causing us to grow and to continually be built up. And Lord, I thank you for that. I pray for every person in this room. I pay a divine, pray a divine anointing upon all of us and forgive us. Help us in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Would you just repeat this prayer with me, everybody? Dear Heavenly, Father, Dear Heavenly Father, I am sorry because I have sinned and I need forgiveness. Create in me a pure heart. Create in me a positive attitude. Create in me a delight in serving you. And let nothing or no one take that which I believe you have given to me Lord, that's my happiness. I refuse to allow the enemy through any circumstance or any person to drag me down. Tonight, I stand strong in the presence of my Savior. Amen. Amen. We're going to pray if you need prayer. If your heart's been angry towards someone and you've given yourself permission, you know, you know what I'm talking about. And if it's you, you know that God's speaking to you. We all have a lot of people on our list that we could not like. People that we feel like that we deserve to be able to take our vengeance on. But God doesn't give us that kind of permission. Well, they bruise me and they hurt me. Well, remember this, you're never more like Jesus than when you get hurt, than when you get persecuted, when you've done nothing 
that if you just turn it to Jesus, or if you need healing in your body, I'm here to tell you God can heal you. So as we sing this song, for whatever reason you come, we want to anoint you, and then we'll give the benediction in just a moment. Would you do that? Everybody. <laughs>